to another episode of the 1970 Podcast. My name is Ed, and joining me today, as always, is Mark Damon. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about a few topics that you might find interesting if you're a PSG fan. We're going to be talking about the Galatasaray match where PSG won 1-0. We're going to be talking about Angers, some injuries. We have injury updates to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about the Premier League versus Ligue 1. Um, I think some of you might find that interesting. And we're going to talk about the upcoming international break. And then for our main event, Mark is going to explain to everyone out there in the Twitter world exactly what he meant with his Kylian Mbappe comments. So you'll definitely want to hang out uh, for that. Um, and then hopefully we're going to answer some of your questions from Twitter. Before we get into all that, Mark, how are you doing this Sunday evening? Ed, it's uh, been a good day, so I'm looking forward to talking to you about Paris Saint-Germain today. Excellent. Well, let's just go ahead on our quick five topics. We'll just jump right in. So Galatasaray, PSG traveled to Istanbul, uh, where we won 1-0 in the Champions League. So we're two two for two. We are undefeated in the Champions League in the group stage. Uh, Real Madrid cannot say the same. They are struggling at the moment. They drew against Bruges, and I thought they probably should have lost that. So PSG are well control of group a um it was a physical game i thought very physical psg were kind of just being bullied all over the pitch but i thought they stood strong when they needed to especially president Kimpembe, um and they weathered the storm i mean the the stadium was rocking um it was a hostile atmosphere it's a place that a lot of teams i think real madrid are really going to struggle when they go there um when you look at galatasaray's lineup there's a lot of really good players in there a lot of players that have legal experience um and, and would have known these psg players or at least a lot of them so i thought they put up a great fight i really liked muslera i thought he did great in goal for galatasaray i mean we we could have left there nil no and i wouldn't have been that, that upset about it so i thought we really did a great job just a, a hard fought professional one nil the kind of game that you have to win in, the, in at some point in the Champions League. So PSG went there with a great win. Curious to get your thoughts. Um, we had on our other show, we talked to some of the other guys to get their thoughts on this game, but we haven't really heard from you. So just overall, what did you think about the 1-0 win uh, with Icardi scoring that goal? I tried to call in as I was getting uh, into the subway from watching the game at Legends Bar with the PSG Club New York. That didn't go so well. So I'll try to say what I was going to try to say during that. Um I thought physicality was sort of the name of this match. I think both PSG and Galatasaray were up for a physical game. I think PSG were able, as you said, they were able to hold their own. And I have to give full credit to Galatasaray and how they played. They have, I would say, a surprisingly strong group of players that have European international experience. They have Jean-Michel Serri, who was really good in this game. Uh, Steven Nzanzi, Radamel Falcao makes you work. Uh, Muslera is a World Cup, you know, World Cup goalie. Like that guy is the starting goalkeeper for Uruguay, I believe. Was it Uruguay he's the starting goalkeeper for? I believe you're correct. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, they, these are these are really good players they have on that team, and you just have to give credit where credit's due. They forced PSG out of their game. They shrunk the pitch in a really kind of smart way. They took away a lot of what PSG wanted to do. A lot of what PSG were able to do against Real Madrid, which is get into dangerous areas and were able to pin. Real Madrid back a little bit and kind of keep them 
off their toes. I thought Galatasaray did a good job of keeping PSG in uncomfortable situations. PSG had to defend counters. They had to be physical. They couldn't get the ball into great scoring opportunities after about the first 20 minutes of the match. And it took a bit of brilliance from Verratti and Sarabia to get PSG that goal. And it was mostly Sarabia. I mean, Icardi, he was in the right spot, but yeah. Well, no, and I'm talking about Verratti, too, because you. Oh, yeah, I, Verratti. I, like, that goal was a work. They worked that goal, I think. That was the yeah. intention of what they were trying to do, because they had the triangle with Marquinhos, um, Sarabia, and Di Maria, I believe. And then they sort of switched out of it, and Verratti comes in, and Sarabia and Verratti make sort of runs at the same time. And it just sort of cut Galatasaray open, a team that really wasn't giving PSG anything of note. Right. So, you know, through the physicality, through all the fouls, through all the the all of that, PSG were able to get a point, get a, get three points. Sorry, and they yeah, got yeah. those three points in not the cleanest of ways, but you get that goal in I think the 52nd minute or something, and then hold on for the rest of the game. Galatasaray didn't wilt. They put PSG under pressure and PSG's back line responded well. So I can't, I can't say, Hey, they should have probably, you know, I can't not going to be one of those people that goes, Hey, they should have scored four or five goals and they should be beating this team by four goals. And these unrealistic expectations, like give Galatasaray credit. PSG were kind of lucky to get the three points, but good teams get the three points in these situations. So you can't – I just don't think you can nitpick this too much. Yeah, and that was actually, I think, when you look at the state of Real Madrid, I mean, that's probably going to be the most difficult game for PSG in, in the group stage. I mean, by the time we get to Real Madrid away, we're going to have probably first place already locked up if things keep continue. You know, we take care of business against Bruges. I mean, that that was our toughest game, I think. And so we should be able to handle our business and, and, uh, and move on from there to the knockout stage where – as we all know, anything can happen from there. So whether we finish first or second, it doesn't really matter um, because we're, we're probably going to get Barcelona or Manchester City or somebody like that in the round of 16. Well, so. at, th- at this point, it's pretty hard to imagine PSG not getting out of this group. Like it, At this point, it's fairly a lock. Yeah. It's yeah. just if they beat Bruges twice, which, again, it's not a foregone conclusion because Bruges yeah. showed that they have some fight in them. Yeah. PSG will probably win this group. So... You know, take that for what you will. I, it doesn't mean anything in the long run if they can't get out of the round of 16. But you you, you, you want to see positive signs. And mm-hmm. this game, I think, was a positive sign more than a negative one. Yeah, it's important to get the at least lock up first place and, and be able to move on so that you can maybe hopefully rest some players. Um, so let's see. In our next topic now, we're going to talk about the 4-0 win over Angers. Uh, that was a game where we had uh, Sarabia, Icardi, and uh, Idrissa Gay both scored their first goals in league on for PSG. So that was great to see those newcomers get on the score sheet. And then Neymar in the 90th minute got a well-deserved goal after taking a beating the entire game with little protection from the official. Uh, it was great to see him get a goal. I mean, he had a few chances where he was one-on-one with the keeper and just was unlucky. So it was great to see him get a goal there. Uh, I was a little disappointed. Pointed with Ange, I, I kind of expected more. They're the the highest scoring team in Ligue 1, uh, at least up until this point, and they really didn't come there 
at least from what I could tell, looking to score, it just kind of looked like they wanted to hold on for dear life and just hope PSG had an off game before the international break. So um, what are your thoughts on just those three newcomers scoring? I thought Sarabia, easily the man of the match. He scored a goal and assisted on the two other ones. He was fantastic. Neymar was up there. I thought Keeler Navas, when called upon, uh, did really well. He, again, he's just you never really have to worry about him. He's not going to make that silly mistake. I thought he was really confident back there. Um, and then if you want to talk, I, I think you mentioned on Twitter, just the, the referees. It's like if you were Neymar, I wouldn't want to play in the French League either. If that's the way that they, they treat, he was being kicked. He was raked across the face. Um, at this point, it's just kind of ridiculous what he has to go through. So what are your thoughts on the, the 4-0 over Angers? Yeah, a few things to take from this game. The first thing was that was the second best team in Ligue 1 up to that point. They had scored 16 goals in eight games yeah, and had generally looked pretty good. And even in this game, they had moments where you can see how they have scored 16 goals. They counter really well. They have some underrated Ligue 1 kind of players like Casimir Ninga, and they were able to put PSG under pressure at times. The problem was they didn't play nearly good enough defense to keep PSG off the score sheet or even keep PSG at bay at all because they gave that first goal. They gave Sarabia a lot of space and Sarabia is a player that needs that space to work in, to get the ball on his left foot and score. And you saw in this game where Sarabia is going to thrive on this squad. I don't, I know by necessity that they are playing Di Maria and Sarabia together, but in a, in a world, you know, in an ideal world, you wouldn't do that because the two of them are just too similar. And the kind of plays that Sarabia makes or the kind of plays that Di Maria makes, they are redundant. And I've always been of the, um, always been of the idea that you don't want a lot of redundancy in your lineup. You want, each player serving a specific function. Now there's certain, you know, positions where you can get away with that. You can have a left back and right back who are similar kind of players. You can have two central midfielders. You can have two defensive midfielders. Start having, when you have two left footed attacking midfield wing players who have so many similar traits, it's really hard for either of those guys to sort of thrive when either of them are on the pitch together. So seeing Sarabia without Di Maria being able to sort of do the things that Sarabia does, it's better that they're not playing together. And I think when PSG get healthier, they'll be able to sort of play either or and not have to play both of them because they each do each other's job and you don't want that redundancy in your lineup. The other thing I'll say is that PSG in this game at the Parc des Princes, I think needed to win like this. I don't think they needed another 1-0 victory. Like at some point you have to show that your system is starting to work and that the players are starting to gel together. And for a while in the gun, PSG have sort of been scraping by and mainly because Neymar has been brilliant. And you don't want to see that as you go along in the season. You want to be able to see that there's a progression and that the team is starting to work well together and to play off of each other. Mm -hmm. And the second goal, the one that Icardi scored, is a perfect example of a team that looks like it's gelling together. Crisp passing, knowing where each other's going to be, 
That third goal with Idrissa Gay, they were relentless in the box. And Sarabia, again, makes a really kind of neat pass to Gay, who sweeps it in. PSG looked like a team that was starting to gel. And I almost kind of hate that the international break is this week. Hmm. Because now PSG have to sit for another you know week and a half. And all of the in try to maintain the rhythm that they I think we're just starting to show against Angers. And to talk about the officials, it's very clear. Again, unless someone on Twitter would like to give me a different explanation, I'm sure there are contrarians that will like to tell me why I'm not right here and why it's some other reason. But it seems like the officials have decided. That because either A, Neymar is a prick, or B, he's too good, or a combination of the two, that the opponents are to be given the advantage of fouling him without accumulating yellow cards. And I think that I think that that is the complete antithesis of what you should be trying to do as a officiating crew. You should not be dumbing the game down or trying to pull the game down to the level of a team like Angers. You should be calling the game straight and seeing if a team like Angers can get up to the level of PSG. It's kind of almost the opposite of what's happening in the NFL. Like a quarterback like Tom Brady, if you breathe on him, they throw a flag for unnecessary roughness. Um, Whereas some of the lower level quarterbacks, you know, you can smack them around helmet to helmet and they just kind of play on. Neymar is a, on the level of a Tom Brady in terms of football popularity and how good they are. And yet it's the opposite. Players can just knock him around and they just look the other way. It's It's gotten to, to a ridiculous point. At this point, I don't know if there's anything that the club can do. They've pointed out that he's the most fouled. They've complained about it. I believe Tuchel has more yellow cards than Marco Verratti this season. It, he's you know, yelling about it on the touchline. There's nothing that anybody can do. So yeah, and it's more I, like it's more like the the comparison is more like the NBA, mm-hmm. where if you wanted to, you could, you know, when Steph Curry has the ball or LeBron James has the ball and they're driving to the hoop and the defender reaches out and taps him, you could let that go. But then you're getting games that are in the 90s, like 98, 94. Yeah. As opposed to what the NBA is going for, which is high scoring, excitement, entertainment. It's an entertainment entity. And the problem with Lee Gunn is that I think that these officials look at Neymar and they look at Mbappe and they say, oh, you know, those guys are really good. We don't, it's that whole thing of, you know, and I, I sure I'll piss people off here, but, it's, you know, it's that whole thing of the French embracing mediocrity at times, <laughs> where it's like, that guy's too good. We need to bring him back down to earth here. <laughs> you know, you can't be this good. You know what I mean? Like, it's that yeah. mentality of, let's not have the stars shine. Let's, you know, let's make money off their likeness and all that, but. God forbid we protect them on the field and we call the. And I'm not asking them to make celebrity calls here. I'm asking them to call the game fairly. And if you grab a guy, it's in the rule book. If you grab a guy by the arm, that's a yellow card. 
It just is. If the guy blows by you and you grab him by the arm, it's a yellow card. It's not even discretionary. That's just what's done. And to allow these guys who are a hundredth of the player that Neymar is or Mbappe is to gain tactical advantage, it it just it goes against what the game should be. And I think that it's not going to change because the people at League Gun don't care. And the referees certainly don't care. So it's sometimes it's not even worth arguing, but I just kind of wanted to point that out. But overall, PSG went into the international break exactly the way they needed to. Definitely. So let's move on to our next topic, which is injuries. Great. So there are several injuries uh, on PSG's website. They had an article about Julian Draxler and Tilo Kerr. They were recently in Doha meeting with well, the. What are their injuries anyway? Because it's kind of been mysterious. Like I think it's like a, 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 I think they're foot injuries, but have, have we gotten like clarification no. of exactly why those guys have been out for two months at this point? I can do some digging, but at, at right now I don't know. I did look at the article when um, that they said that they were in Doha meeting with the Aspatar team and the PhD medical staff, and you would think that they would say, oh, and and to have their you know leg looked at or foot you know but no it's very vague on what the issue is it could be just an oversight of the writer or maybe they are trying to keep it secret but so those the two germans are out obviously we know mbappe um, they said that it is not a new injury um and he's not even really injured but he has some scar tissue from his hamstring injury um that he suffered against tulu on september 24th i believe it was and uh, apparently august 20 august 24th. Uh, yeah there you go and apparently the scar tissue is very close to a nerve and it's caused a reaction apparently they it, it's kind of poor timing because the club released this video of him like working out and training and this big like dramatic comeback and he you know gets on the pitch and and assist neymar um i believe what, what game was that was that Bordeaux? Oh, no, that's it okay thank you uh, yeah, so that the, that's how the video ended, and then of course, you know, against Galatasaray, he comes in again, uh, 60 minute mark, and he's one sprint the first time, and then the rest of the game he's kind of like limping around. So not not great, not great time with that video. Uh, we also have Munier and Cavani. Apparently, they trained last Thursday, uh, but only the uh, Munier, the Belgian international, was able to be on the bench against Angers. Apparently, he's just not injured, but he's just a little bit tired. He's been playing a lot of minutes. We've been missing a lot of right backs. So, and it also seems Kavani's like... has now been out for a month and a half with, yes. uh, I guess a what groin? we call it, a hip injury? Yeah, a hip groin injury. And he, again, I'll, I'll reiterate it. He suffered it because he was he, frust- he was frustrated and he kicked the ball into the stands. So here's the thing, though. Can you, and, and I'll just talk about these injuries. I'll get into it. Can you rely on him anymore? Like... Remember, in the original press release, and we'll talk about this later with Mbappe, they said with Enzin Cavani, three weeks. Yeah. yeah. That's what they said in their own press release. I'm not making that number up. That's what they said. Go back and look at the press release. They said three weeks. Uh, when I was, with, I was listening. Double that. So Tuchel did give a press conference before the match against Angers, and he said something like, Cavani is training, but... And I was listening through a translator, and this is on the PSG website. And if I'm not mistaken, the way he was saying it was like, yeah, Cavani just came to me. He's like, I'm like at 80%. I can't, I'm not at 100%. And I'm just like, I wish I could go to my boss and say, you know what? I'm at 80% today. I just can't. I can't make it to that meeting today. I'm just at 80%. You know, like, 
It just yeah. the way he said it, it's almost like Tuchel was like, this fucking guy, man, just like get out there, play, you know? It's kind I, of crazy. You know, I don't know. And that's the problem, though. 30 year old with muscular injuries. Like, it's not getting better. He ain't going to all of a sudden find the fountain of youth. It's not how that's not how football works. Like, all all the running around, all it does is just re-aggravate those injuries. So I don't, you know. But how is know. it, if we can get into this main event, but how is it that Mbappe can make the bench for Galatasaray, but Cavani couldn't? I would rather rest because Mbappe. Because old. Because he's washed up. <sighs> like, I, I think we're just at this point. Like, Mauro Icardi is the starting striker. Like, I don't see how he's not. Like, how do you put a guy in like Edinson Cavani when the guy can't get on the field? Like we're in Pastor, we're starting to get into Pastore territory right now. Mm. And you just, he has one year left. He has this year left on his contract. You're not going to sell him anywhere because who's going to buy a guy who can't, you know, go a game without injuring himself. So it's it's very Arsenal-esque if you follow that club from a few years ago where they would have a player go out with like a, just a minor injury and you wouldn't see them for five months. And people are like, well, where the hell did they go? You know, like we're kind of getting into that territory with some of these players. And we're going to talk about Mbappe and Santi Cazorla. Right, exactly. Yeah. It, it's You know, and you just you go to yourself and you say – it's at this point it's time to move on like Tilo Carrer I think the if I remember right those two injuries were foot injuries him and Draxler so I think you're right yeah I think with those injuries it is a long process to get those guys back and quite frankly they don't really need them at the moment Carrer I think they're going to need more than Draxler because I think they have the they have the right kind of rotation at this point and so you know we'll see what happens but at least it's October. Let's put it like that. You're still early in the season. You can afford in a way to let some of these guys sit, but you don't want to start getting to a place where it's like, you know, just for precaution, we're going to let the guy sit for a month. Like you don't want to become that. Yeah. Cause that's not, that's not like how medicine works. That's not how it should work. That's just being cautious for the sake of it. And we'll get into that. So I just pulled it up on transfer market. Um, and they have Draxler with a foot injury, suffered on August 21st, and he has been out for 47 days. He's missed nine games. T. Lucera, again, you were right, good memory, foot injury, in, injured on August 12th. He's been out for 56 days, and he's missed 10 games. Who knows when they'll come back? They're traveling the world looking for the, the magic antidote to their foot injury. So who knows when they'll come back? It's, it's kind of... It's ridiculous at this point. We've talked about injuries and the medical staff and whose problem and whose fault it is. And then you look at a team like Liverpool who are just flying high and they never really have any major players go down, it seems. So um, and then speaking of the Premier League, that's, we want to talk a little bit about that in our next topic. So this we just thought this would be fun. So the Premier League is always you know great marketing. Oh, they're the best teams in the world, blah, blah, blah. How competitive it is and how you know anybody can win. It's just this great league. Well, you currently look at this league right now, and Liverpool have a 24 points, and in second place is Manchester City. So, and then with 16 over, points, so they have an eight-point gap, right? Yes, now. an eight-point gap with uh, Arsenal is in third. And if you watched Arsenal against Manchester United, that's that's your third best team. That's that's kind of sad. And then you go hop over to Ligue 1, you've got PSG in first. 
Nantes is uh, second with uh, two only two points behind. And then Angers uh, is on 16 points. So, and then Bordeaux round out the top four. So when you look at these two tables, one league looks a lot more competitive than the other one. So I just wanted to point that out. I just thought that was interesting. And I also just wanted to talk about, you had mentioned how just the league on wants to like bring Neymar back. And it kind of brings me to this point that I mentioned during our full-time analysis after the Angers match, which is like the league in doing business with BN sports and seeing how BN sports operates and not getting their stream, the technical side of their streams, correct. And how on social media, they'll shut down people who create gifts of goals and they, and they make it very difficult. You have to go to their site to watch any of the highlights. They just, it's not a, an organization that gets what, the internet is on 2000 in 2019. And so they make it incredibly hard to watch their games. They make it incredibly hard for you to, to pick up a highlight and share it. If you're a football fan, um, it's, it's really disappointing because this is, as you can see, it is a competitive league. You've got some really good teams in here. Um, but they make it really difficult. Whereas on the Premier League, I think it was on Saturday, I was watching fucking Newcastle and Crystal Palace, or maybe it was West Ham, Crystal Palace. And I'm like, this is on NBC, like the main NBC channel. This is broadcast television, and I'm watching Crystal Palace. I, I don't end my rant right there. I, it just it made me so angry that I can't watch PSG. I've got to go. I got to jump through 17 hoops to watch PSG, but I can just turn on bra- broadcast television and watch Crystal Palace. Well, they have this deal with BN, and it they they don't they're starting to care about the American market, but they've never really cared about it before, and. English, you know, English speaking, uh, English speaking England and Americans, you know, English speaking America. Like it's an easy it's an easy thing to market. Like it's not for no reason. Like the, and language, I'm not, is, the language is the same. The teams are better known. Like it, it's clear why. And at this point, obviously, the Premier League is so far ahead of, you know, in in um in the United States of like league on or really any other league, it's kind of ridiculous, but I wouldn't even say that's the story around the world either. Like, you know, league on has a good enough footprint around the world. They're marketing pretty well. And, you know, in other countries and, yeah. you know, the La Liga obviously markets really well around the world. The issue I think that we're bringing up here, which is that factually the premier league has not been competitive Really, in five, seven years now, by competitive, I mean four to five teams have a shot. There's not been a year in the last five, six years there four or five teams have had a shot. It's been usually a two-team league and sometimes even a one-team league. Yeah. And I think that the frustration I have, and especially with League Gun and the League Gun teams that are supposedly supposed to be competitors to PSG are, in theory, the Premier League is supposed to have competitive teams that all, you know, that have five or six teams that can win it. That's not reality, but at least you pretend. Like, at least Arsenal pretends they can maybe win the league. <laughs> Chelsea, like, pretends. Like, they have transfer windows, they try to sign big players. And it's like, hey, they look like they're attempting to win the league when clearly they can't, you know, yeah. at this point. It's clearly Manchester City and Liverpool that are the two best teams. Pulisic's no not going to win you a league? Yeah, and, and no one's even really close. 
in League One, it's like people think of it as a one-team league because I think the other teams in League One think of it as a one-team league, mm-hmm. and it's like their goal is to beat PSG like one time. Like I, a perfect example of this is two years ago when Lyon beat PSG. I think it was 2018. They beat them two one, mm-hmm. and I think Memphis Depay scored a really late goal that that was a nice goal. And the Lyon, like, pro shop made mugs, made coffee mugs with the score of the game and, you know, who scored and all that. And they actually sold them. And I think at the time, Lyon was, like, 15 points behind. Like, if you really think about that, that is, like, such a loser mentality. Like... What kind of losers, you know, beat a team once and then, but you know what I mean? They beat a team one time and they make a celebratory mug and then eventually lose the league to them by like 20 points. That's the mentality that has to be taken out of League Gun if it has a chance of being a major, you know, a major deal. Because you don't see Arsenal doing that when they beat Tottenham. You don't see Chelsea doing that when they beat Arsenal. You don't see Manchester United do that, as bad as they've been. There's an expectation that they can compete. And it's not some sort of major victory when they win one match. And imagine now when Marseille at some point, and you know it's going to happen at some point finally beat PSG for like the first time in 10 years. Can you imagine the kind of memorabilia that they're going to sell Uh, to commemorate that moment? There'll be a DVD for sure. And what kind of loser mentality they'll show. Like that's what they have to get rid of. And that's why I think the farmer's league kind of mentality sticks because there isn't this sort of, fire this competitive fire to try to beat psg there's just this sort of resignation that the best you can do is beat them on one night when half their players are out and i think like that's the that's what i'm looking for a team that will finally just not have that attitude and if you see that then maybe league on can start to do the things that can make it competitive on the global stage but that's i think really what holds it back yeah, I mean, we talked about Galatasaray and how surprisingly good that team is. I mean, if Galatasaray played in the French League, where would they finish? I think they have a better squad than pretty much any team there. I mean, they would be right behind PSG, I feel like. And it's like, why why can't Monaco, who has, again, sold a billion euros worth of players since uh, the last 10 years, you know, and, and they're currently in whatever position, 18th or 17th, you know, why can't they field a better team than what they have now? I mean, Marseille, they say they're so great and they're the biggest team in France. Why do you suck so bad? Why is beating PSG potentially once the biggest thing ever and, and deserves a T-shirt? Invest in your teams. Act like you've been there before. If you think PSG is a small team or whatever, then go out and beat them. Act like it's not a big deal and go on and win something. Win some titles. Win a, win a Coupe de France or something. You know, it's it's with, it's kind with of... something. Like... <laughs> Win something of note. Like it's not good enough to just say, "Hey, we're competing and we're competing for Champions League spots." Like, mm-hmm. and then do nothing with those Champions League spots. It's like 
you you gotta give me better than that. You gotta you gotta have some ambition. And it's like I, I talk about that whole French mediocrity thing. It's like, you know, have some goddamn aspiration. Like, and stop selling your best players. Like show show me in your books where you need to sell Pepe for that amount of money. It's a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but is Leo going to go out of business if they didn't make that deal? Keep them for another year. You're in the Champions League. This is a special team. Keep your team together and give it one more go and see what you can do. He's still going to be worth something. If you think he's really a quality player, keep him for another year. Stop selling your best players to go off and play at Arsenal where the expectations for that mediocre squad are just through the roof. And then he's deemed a failure and then it hurts his career in the long run. He would have been better served staying at Lille for another year, improving himself in the Champions League, and he probably could have maybe even gotten more money. Absolutely. I, I, no, no, I don't get it. Sell, we, have to sell, we have to sell now. Is this – are they – I know that all clubs are a business, but, like, are you a business or are you about playing football? PSG want to make money, but they're about playing football. They will take a loss if they have to to field the best team possible to win every trophy possible. Yeah. But that's the but that's the thing though. Are you a business or are you gonna you know? Because businesses take risks, right? Like businesses take risks to succeed. Like that's how you build you know multi million dollar corporations. You take gambles, and these clubs just don't. These league on clubs just don't take gambles. Like the first chance they have to sell a guy, they sell him. And Leon, even like last year, at least they kept Navo Fakir for a year. It it kind of worked. They got into the round of 16 of the Champions League. Mm-hmm. They looked like they had progress. And then they just sort of got rid of the guy. They didn't want to yeah. pay any of them. And it's like, okay, you don't want to pay anybody. That's fine. But then don't pretend like you're some big deal, Leon. Like, are you a big are you a big boy club or not? Are you Napoli? Are you Ajax? What kind of club do you want to be? Yeah. Well, I mean, Angers, we, surprisingly, they were in second place, but they're another team that's probably more like a business. I mean, they're buying players for, you know, yeah, pennies on the dollar and they're flipping. Different. But that's different. Like, economically, those clubs have to be that way. Like, Angers and, um, and Montpellier and, uh, you know, Reim and Brest and Brestois and those clubs in FC Mets, those clubs have to be that way because there's no way that they're ever going to have the financial capital because they're just not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to get to the Champions League. They're not going to be able to buy good players that at that level. But teams like Lille and OM and Saint-Étienne and uh, Monaco, they shouldn't have that problem. Well, I guess what I would say is, you know, last season, I'm just looking at here, Anjay had departures that amounted to, looks like, $38 million. And then if you look at who they brought in, they brought in people for a sum of $12 million. I'm not saying don't take a profit, but, like, can you at least, if you're making $40 million and you're only spending $12 million, could you at least even that out? So maybe 40 20 you know, reinvest in your squad a little bit, bring in some players. You made that much money. Are you a business? Is it about lining someone's pockets, or do you actually want to compete? And it, this is Angers, and it's like a smaller scale, but it, the same thing applies for Monaco and Lyon. You're selling players at this amount of money. Stop buying you know, these players for 5 million euros. Go out there like Galatasaray and buy some players that have some quality for 15, 20, 30 million. 
on a consistent, not just one, by a couple of them and try to build a squad that can compete with PSG first and then maybe help build up the French coefficient in Europe and, and try to string together some wins year after year in, in Europe. Because mm. no, I'll tell I you think- what, Serie, Serie A is not that great of a league. And at, they're the, the, the league right above uh, the Yeah, French but at league. least like people like pretend that Napoli and Inter can be competitive. Like People pretend that Dortmund could maybe beat Bayern Munich. But in Ligue 1, there's no such thing because those secondary teams don't even try. That's the problem. I think Ligue 1 should institute a minimum that clubs have to pay on transfers every year. Kind of like, um, I think the NFL has that where there's like you have to spend a certain amount. Or maybe it's baseball, something like that. To try well, to make it some teams will, again, it, 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 again, it has to be somewhat reasonable to what you make. Like, again, yeah, exactly. Ajay, for example, they're making, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're barely turning profit there. So I understand it in that context. It's all contextual. Sure, yeah. But like, the, there's certain clubs that contextually should be able to mount a com- somewhat of a competition, or at least pretend to. Right. And yeah, we we've gone over it. It's 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 sad. It's a sad state. Yes. Well, the last topic we've got in our blazing five topics, we want to talk about the international break that's coming up. And I know you're a huge fan of the international break. Oh, I love these breaks. They're so uh, great. You get you get to watch all these international teams play when half their players are exhausted and barely giving effort. It's great. It's awesome. France, Iceland. It's going to be great. So we're just going to go through this really, really quick. But give me a player, that PSG player, that's going off on international duty that you are going to be particularly keen to keep your eye on. Um, Just because they haven't gotten so much international duty, Juan Bernard, Pablo Sarabia, mm. kind of just want to keep seeing them play well. Like, that would be mine. The rest of it, it's just like, if you're on the fringes of a national team, these kind of international breaks can really help, you know, get you noticed. But, like, for the Killian Mbappes and Neymars of the world, it's really a waste of time. Like, the be- the worst, that- the best that can happen is that you get out of there without any injuries. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Um, I'm going to go with Neymar. Uh, he tweeted out earlier today that he's looking forward to coming to Singapore to play for Brazil at the National Stadium against Senegal and Nigeria. Do you know, is Idrissa Gay is he going to be playing for Senegal? I don't see why not. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting matchup if Neymar's out there. I'm going to keep an eye on him just to see if he can continue playing really well uh, and continue the form that he's in. And also... Pray like hell he doesn't pick up a, an ankle injury or something like that. And the same goes with, uh, I'll give one more, just Mbappe, mostly because I'm curious if, De, if uh, Deschamps is going to play him at all. I think Tuchel said that they sometimes talk, and I wonder if there's kind of a maybe a, a deal there where, like, hey, please don't play him. He's still recovering from a hamstring injury. Um, so those, those two players, just because of how big they are and how important they are um, to PSG, just hoping for no injuries, like he said. So... Speaking of injuries, let's just go right into our main event. This is a topic that I'm just going to kind of let you run, and I'll let you set up the back and forth on Twitter. But essentially, you had some comments, uh, I believe it was for the Leon game, where you were questioning why Kylian Mbappe wasn't playing. And you, and you had said that he was healthy, and why wasn't he playing? And some people were like, well, you're not a doctor, you don't know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And then things changed. He came back, and now he's back out again. So... What is going on? What is clear up? What is your position when it comes to Kylian Mbappe's injury? First of all, I preface all of this by saying that I have a real healthy skepticism of PSG's medical and training staff. I think over the years they have proven to not 
be the best. Quite frankly, they're one of the worst in Europe. And we can go down the list of players. Um, Javier Pastore at the top of that list. Uh, Levin Kurzawa certainly has been an issue. Marco Verratti repeatedly has had muscular injuries over his career. The same goes for Thiago Silva. He has been in and out of the trainer's room for a lot of his PSG time. And most recently, Edinson Cavani and Neymar. Now, injuries can happen for a whole bunch of reasons. They can happen due to flukes. They can happen due to wear and tear. They can happen due to another player barging into another player and tearing the, and ripping the guy's knee. All, all different ways that injuries can happen. And one of the ways an injury can happen is by exertion. And Kylian Mbappe injures his hamstring by legging out a long ball. Comes up, I believe it's his right hamstring, Comes up, feels it in the Tulu game, goes to the ground, gets subbed out. Now, the diagnosis is a pulled hamstring. Now, any time when it comes to a muscular injury, you pull the muscle, it tears, like, a little bit. If you are working out in the gym and you're doing bicep curls... What you are doing is you are taking that bicep muscle, you are extending it with weight, and you are creating micro tears in the muscle so that when the muscle tears, it rebuilds itself and it makes it stronger. That's why people lift weights. That's the whole point of it. So when Kylian Mbappe pulls his hamstring, essentially he is tearing his hamstring depending on to what severity he tears his hamstring, is how long he's out or how long he is not healthy, quote unquote. And I want to go back to that term, healthy. The hamstring is a muscle. The muscle tears a little bit. Now, the way that you cure a, tor a tear in the hamstring is with a little bit of rehab, to strengthen the muscle around it, and time. According to PSG's own press release, at the time of the injury, about two weeks out, two days after the, sorry, two days after the injury, they put a timeline at four weeks. That was their timeline, which they volunteered. So if you are going to volunteer a timeline of four weeks, then, and I want you, when you tweet this out, to find that release, because it's clear that that's what they said. They said four weeks. Three to four, I think, to be more precise. Now, that was, I believe, and let's go back and look at this. I'm going to go back to the calendar. He got hurt on August 18th, I believe. No, maybe it was August 25th. I'm going to say it was August 25th because it was before. Yeah. Okay. So it was August 25th. I, I did just real quick. I did find the release August 26th. They said Kylian Mbappe suffered an injury to his left hamstring. Tests this morning have confirmed the player will be sidelined for four weeks, depending on the evolution of the injury. Okay. So four weeks with a bit of a, uh, an out there, depending on the evolution of the injury. 
but you're expecting best case scenario or you're expecting with the kind of doctors that they have that you're going to get close to that. I also didn't so, know that a, that an injury could evolve. I thought that was like mostly for primates so and stuff. One, two, three, four. So four, exactly four weeks after the injury was the Leon game. Kylian Mbappe had at that point been training to a degree with the first team. He wasn't full, but he was. And then there was a report came out that said that he was fine. He felt he was fine and that he was ready to go. And Tuchel and the staff held him out. So here's why I make my point about the hamstring. In my opinion, there is a difference between the hamstring being healed and Kylian Mbappe being physically ready to go. Those are two different things. In my opinion, after four weeks, the hamstring had healed. The muscle had healed. The tear was not there, which is different from he can play. And I think that what I mean, and I'm trying to pick my words carefully here, is that when you talk about an injury like this, once it is healed, there really isn't a there really isn't that strong of a ability to relapse based on the prior injury. The only reason you would relapse in any real way is because you didn't go through the proper rehab of a hamstring injury, which is, I would say, small incremental return meaning five minutes in a game, then 15 minutes in a game, then 30 minutes a game. Because once the muscle is healed, you have to strengthen it. And the way you strengthen that muscle is you have to slowly work it back. And you have to work it back in a way that is ideal to the player, meaning he has to be in ideal circumstances. And you have to be careful about when you use him or how you work the muscle. So he's back in these training sessions and he's doing all this stuff in training, he's good enough to do that, but he's not good enough to run on the field for five minutes. That, to me, is baffling, because this is not a bone injury. It's not like the bone has to heal. It's not a sprained ankle where it takes a certain amount of time for the bone to physically heal. <coughs> Muscle injury, it's that two-step. It's that the muscle has to heal, and then you have to work it back. Is this making sense? Please interject if I'm not making sense, or if you have a question of what I'm. No, saying. I mean I didn't. I didn't know you kind of had this medical expertise. I'm fascinated about the micro tears and the working it back and the stretching it out, and I, it's all well, fascinating. Think about I, it like this. Think about okay. Think about it like this. If I tear my, if I t- if I get a tear in my hamstring, which is what a pulled hamstring is. Hmm. I sit on it for two, three weeks. After three weeks, they go, Mr. Damon, your tear is completely gone. The muscle has healed. However, because the muscle was torn, it is still weak. So again, let's go back to our working out situation. If I just lifted, if I lifted 100 pounds on my right arm with a bicep curl, you're putting a lot of strain and a lot of micro tears. You don't just then, you know, wait five seconds and then lift another 100 pounds. You have to let the muscle heal. And once the muscle heals, you have to slowly work your way back up to that weight. 
That's how working out works. That's how how muscular how you heal a muscular injury. So what they decide to do is they decide to hold him out of games and then bring him back against Bordeaux and play him for 30 minutes. When you had a game against Reim where he where the muscle was healed, you have him in you know phys- doing physical things in practice. So if you're going to work him back, why not give him a five to ten minute little bit of an outing against Stadrim? And you just say, look, here's what you're going to do. We're going to put you out there. You're going to you're going to stretch. And this is the thing that also they screwed up. Let him be in the squad. Let him work out. Like, what would the harm be in having him in the squad, having him warm up on the sideline? And then not having him play. You're getting the muscle loose, which is what you want to do. You're working back the muscle. But just having him not play at all, having him not even go on those trips, not even having him be in warm-up sessions, which, again, it's like, let him just warm up. And then have him not play. All things they could have done, which would have helped him get back into the rhythm of playing which would have helped him get back into the rhythm of that muscle and given him an opportunity to slowly work it back. Instead, they kept him in these training sessions. Then they bring him back for the first time for 30 minutes. And then the kicker here is they have him go on a three-hour plane ride to Turkey, have him then be driven in a bus, in a cramped bus, and then he's got to go out and exert pressure on that hamstring in a practice that, quite frankly, is meaningless. I have never understood the day before a game having to go to the other team's stadium and practice in the stadium. Like, football pitch is a football pitch. Like, why are we doing that? Especially with a guy that's coming off of a hamstring. So what I think happened... And it was clear because Lakeep reported that he got that he felt a twinge in that mm-hmm. in that um, mm-hmm. in that training session. Go back, they did. Yeah. What happened was they it it was too herky jerky the way they brought him back. Too much time, too much time in that first game against Bordeaux. Then you bring him back against Galatasaray. You put him on the plane. You have him sit on a plane for three hours. Then on a bus for an hour. Then you have him try to go out and practice on the hamstring. And, of course, there was a reaction. Like, that's what's going to happen. It's a muscular injury. You have to be particular with it. And it's not about me not knowing what I'm talking about. It's me just using common sense. Like, you don't just have a guy come back from a muscle injury and then play him 30 minutes and then have him go on a three-hour plane ride. Like, those are things that... I think are pretty self-evident. I didn't think they were controversial. I didn't think like the idea that they have handled this completely in the wrong way by completely messing with the expectations, by being completely vague about when he could actually come back and then bringing him back in this sort of helter-skelter way where he plays 30, I, it's just, I don't even want to keep repeating myself, but just anything you want to add, because yeah. I feel like I'm 
I'm seeing something that other people aren't, and I don't know if I'm wrong or. Yeah, I would I would add that this is the type of things thing that a player would leave a team for. Um, the misdiagnosing of an injury or the herky jerky um, schedule of bringing a player back and then having a setback. I mean, this is why players leave. I mean, we saw this with Kawhi Leonard with the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA, where he didn't feel like his injury was being diagnosed correctly and. He ended up sitting out and said, I can't trust you guys anymore. And he went, ended up going to Toronto with Kylian Mbappe. He's got this injury. He's 20 years old. He relies on speed. This is a big deal to him. He needs to have the best medical care possible. And he needs to be able, if you said four weeks, and that's how long it should take. If it's any kind of a setback, it's not because of the player. You know, it's the scheduling of what of how the medical staff is bringing him back and what's being expected and the sitting on the planes and the buses and the blah, blah, blah. It's just not good, and my worry is that he's going to get frustrated because you just keep hearing him say, like, I want to get out there and play. This is a 20-year-old kid. It's killing Mbappe. He makes his money on the pitch. That's where he needs to be, not in a training room with some camera guy you know, shoving a, a lens in his face. He needs to be out on the pitch, and so I'm frustrated for him. I'm frustrated with the medical staff, and if he cites this as a reason why he ultimately decides to leave potentially next summer, I can't say I'll blame him. I really can't. Look, this med- look, this medical staff has been historically bad. They for years and years, their training methods have been laughing stock. It's mm. been a laughing stock that you have all this expensive talent that you can't keep on the field. And they've lost Champions League after Champions League because they cannot keep these people on the field and there's been these injuries. Some of them are within their control, some of them aren't. But in the end, this is an injury that if that most clubs know how to handle, that yeah, most training yeah. staffs know how to handle it. It's tricky, yes. But if you handle it right and you slowly integrate him back in games, five minutes one time, 20 minutes the next, 45 minutes the next game, 75 minutes the next game, as opposed to... We're going to try to get him ready for Galatasaray and go 30 minutes against Bordeaux because you want to get him up to a point where you can get him for a legitimate amount of time. That's folly to me. If you have him play five minutes against Reim, 20 minutes against Bordeaux, and 35 minutes against Galatasaray, that's what you do. Because that's what's best for the player is that slow integration back as opposed to starting at 30, which, again, was a mistake. You don't start at 30. You start at, like, 10 because you need to get that player used to warming up, you know, having the warm-up session, and then have him come in and have him just jog around for a little bit. Like, don't even have him exert a lot of effort. Just have him jog around in a meaningless game. Let him get some energy. Let him get a couple touches on the ball. And then, okay, that worked. Let's go to the next step. They didn't do that. And luckily, is here where I bring in the good news. They have the ability now to rest him for about two weeks. And because it's really not a major setback, and clearly if it was a major setback, they would not have played him against Galatasaray, which they did. They let him play through it, and he wasn't great, but he played, and he didn't really hurt it any worse. So now he gets two weeks off. And more like around three weeks off and he'll be able to 
probably come back for the game against Bruges, and then hopefully we don't have to hear about this again. But still, it's like, if you have to integrate them slowly in in games, do that. And that's where I think people differ. I think people think that they can somehow wait long enough and the hamstring will be better. As opposed to what I'm saying, which is once the hamstring heals, it heals. At that point, it's time to get him back in and working, not sort of doing this half and half where they wait another week and then try to go harder with him than maybe they should have. So take it for what it's worth. Yeah, it wasn't great that they had him like warming up and then sitting on the bench. It's just like you said, it's back and forth. It's get up, sit down, get up, sit down and train and then not play. And okay, now you're going to play 30 minutes. I'm not a doctor. It doesn't seem like the best thing to do with your star player. Um, well, that was our main event. I thought it was a pretty fantastic main event. Hopefully everyone will um, understand at least your point of view. I know a lot of people on Twitter were questioning um, some of your statements, but I thought you clarified that pretty good. Um, let's just go ahead and wrap up here. I tweeted out earlier right when we were uh, broadcasting here or recording, not broadcasting, but uh, if anyone had any questions that, we, they wanted us to answer. So we've got one from our friend at Mike underscore League One. Liga. So oh, he got, pessimist Mike. Yes. Yeah, he was getting on something earlier today. But he wants to know, is it time for Tuchel to start fine-tuning a squad for Liga, Coupe de France, Coupe de Liga, then a separate squad in formation for the Champions League to help the incapable medical staff of keeping players fit and getting them fit. So I think what he's talking about is something that I do with FIFA a lot. And so if anyone is familiar with FIFA, I will go in and I will create multiple team sheets because there's always players that are like, I'm not getting enough playing time. So I create like an A squad, a B squad, a C squad. And so when in like the Coupe de Liga, I'll play, you know, some lower bench players, the young kids. And then for Champions League, I'll go to the team sheet A. That's what I do in FIFA, so I think he's, that's what he's talking about here. So do you think it's time for Tuchel to start doing that, or do you think maybe he's already doing that? I, I Just looking at the league performance, it's kind of clear that he's not really prioritizing that as much as maybe managers in the past have. I think he wants to win it, but given that we're only two points clear and we've already lost twice and he's had to rotate a lot and he's kind of experimenting um, – I don't know if it's as big of a priority for him. So do you think he needs separate squads for each of these competitions to kind of help with alleviate some of the injuries that are happening? Um, I think last year that was not possible because of the limited squad they had. That's a good point. Yeah. And two years ago, I think Unai Emery just wasn't capable of doing what Mike is saying that they should do. And I think this year, what you will see is in these Coupe de France and Coupe de la Ligue matches. By the way, the last year of the Coupe de la Ligue, thank God. Yeah. Um, we got to win it. This is the last one. You got to be the yeah. last one to win it. You got to be the last one to win it, yeah. But still, I, I think you'll see Julian Draxler playing in those matches. I think you'll see Pablo Sarabia playing in those matches. I do think you will see a solid 11 in the Champions League, that they will not sort of go away from. I think if they can stay healthy, I think you'll see a a rotation of, they'll have about 13, 14 guys that they play in Champions League matches. And you'll see, in the Coupe de la Ligue, you'll see Sergio Rico, and you'll see Abdou Diallo, and you'll see um, Levin Krizawa, and you'll see those guys. 
So yeah, if you have the rotate, if you have the ability to do it, I think they will. But yeah. the issue is, do you have the bodies that you need to do that kind of rotation? It's not not a lot of teams do. It's not like you know what I'm saying. It's not like yeah. this easy thing. So you know. But now, like you said, we're now we're set up to do it, and so hopefully he does it. Hopefully he'll take some of my expertise from FIFA and create those team sheets and run some of the youngsters out there in the Coupe de Liga and go with the well, A I squad. This is also another point I'll make. I know we're going a little long here, but that's I'll okay. Make, I'll make this other point here too, which is I think for a long time PSG have felt the need, uh, especially QSI, have yeah. felt the need to like win every single thing. And I think they felt that pressure to sort of win these quadruples and dominate League Gun and put their imprint in and win a lot of trophies. And that's honorable. But I think at some point you become a big enough club where you don't have to do that. Like, Real Madrid doesn't care about the Copa del Rey. I'm just saying. Barcelona doesn't really care about the Copa del Rey until you get to a position where you can actually, like, win it and then you put, a like, a starting lineup out there. You know... The Liverpool, Manchester City, they don't care about the FA Cup. And is it still called the FA? Well, no, it's the what's the the it used to be the Carlin Cup. The Carabao Cup. That's that, it. Yeah. That's that's the equivalent of the Coupe de la Ligue, and they get they'll probably get rid of that too. Yeah. But it's like they don't care about that stuff. They just like big teams. If they if they you know if they win it, they win it. But they're not banking their whole seasons on it. Like. The key is win the league, win Champions League. That's the those are the two goals. And I think as PSG gets more comfortable as a big club, you won't see them sort of playing all these top guys in these like cup competitions. And honestly, they are what they are. I think the Coupe de France is important. I think you should put out a, a full squad for that for those matches. But honestly, the Coupe de la Ligue is not important. Nobody cares. Speak for yourself. I love that trophy. I would want to win it every year. I would have like a whole set of like six of them. If I'm having guests over, I can serve like a little chalice at dinner. I love the I love the way that the trophy looks. And I like that each player gets well, a little mint version of it. If you win the Coupe de la Ligue next, this year, they can have the trophy forever. This is they true. They can retire the jersey. They can retire it. And if they and have any little trophies. The and if they can, if they can just send uh, PSG talk a little replica of the trophy. I'd love to have one as a little memento of the competition. Uh, let's move on to the next question here. This one comes in from at Fresh Fady. He wants to know, he'd love to hear about how PSG is always expected to win the Champions League. Instead, they need to set goals and focus on each individual round. I couldn't agree more. I think you've got to set um, goals, you know, top the group. Okay, next game. See who you're matching up, and maybe it's an away match or whatever, and you got to think, we got to get out of here with at least a draw. Like, you got to set these very attainable goals. If you just always... we got to win the whole thing, guys. This thing that's impossible, that's the goal. You can't do that. It's not good for the mental uh, prowess of the entire team. So that you've got to set these little mini goals, I, I'll call them. I, I think, you know, in the NFL, a lot of coaches will break the season down, which is 16 games, into quarters. You know, where do you stand after the first four games? Kind of a similar thing I think Tuchel needs to do in the Champions League. Yeah, just, you no, you just, you play to the next game. I think that's what Tuchel's trying to do. I think he's trying to instill the, we just have to play our next game mentality. Yeah. Um, And it's not easy because I think these guys are, you're a professional footballer, but professional football is the most grinding, you know, biggest, you know, biggest toll on your body kind of sport. Like it's not professional NFL football where you're like getting CTE all the time and you're 
breaking your body and you're tearing your ACL, you know, and it's just that kind of wear and tear. But it's, you know, it's 10 months out of the year, 11, sometimes even more like 11 months out of the year of just constant running and kicking and getting kicked and falling on the ground. It's like, yeah, sometimes I think these guys do sort of overlook certain games and they don't, you know, they, they try to preserve their body a little bit. And sometimes they turn it off in games where they need to have it on the most. And with Tuchel, I think he does have this approach that I'd like, which is I think he does sort of try to respect all these different games they have. I think Emery had that approach. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it's like they are human beings. They aren't going to always be 100% vested. So you have to, as best you can, have them focused on the near future. They can't worry, you know, PSG can't worry about games a month from now. They got to worry about their next two games. Right. And if you can get them in that focus, then I think that eventually you'll start to see them get that mentality of we're playing this game. We know we need to play this game and we need to win this game. And it's not about the next game. And it's I think you can get to that point eventually after, you know, a good team, you know, I think you can get to that point. I just don't think you um, – I just don't think that you can – sorry. I just don't think you can do yeah. that right away. I don't think it works like that. I think you need to um, – I think you just – you really do need to build on that. Yeah. They need to be like Bill Belichick who famously said, we're on to Cincinnati. Don't think about winning the Super Bowl. You're on to Cincinnati. PSG, they're on to Bruges. Just that's it. That's the that's the next game. That's all you're supposed to be concentrating on. Uh, let's see. We can do one more question. I'm looking through here real quick. Um, someone just said Pat Mahomes is the Mbappe of the NFL generational talent. I would agree with that. So this guy at two six five Noor, he wants to know four two three one or four three three. Acardi as a striker will affect Kylian Mbappe and Neymar, won't it? Yes, Acardi will. Yeah, I would agree. No, it's, I, it's, it's, I, it's yeah. this is the guy that should be. This is the, they have a they have a um, they have a um, they have. Sorry, you're gonna okay. have to re, you're gonna have to edit this part. Let me just pause a little bit. Sure. There's this idea that Edison Cavani is going to come back and it's going to be the MCN, which, again, is the most derivative, stupid nickname for a, a, stri- a striking trio that you could possibly come up with. I think just for the sake of that, Acardi should be starting. But they got a clause on this guy that they can pay that's fairly reasonable. And so far, he's been nothing but a good citizen. He's working hard. He's helping the team. He's scoring goals like what's the and you know what it is too which i think is is great about him he almost like cavani when he plays with those two i feel like he needs more attention like i feel like he's a guy that needs more of the ball too like the three of them are you know working kind of in cross purposes at times while Acardi's just sort of like I think Acardi's style of just sort of standing around, just getting into position and then being in the right place at the right time fits it because Neymar and Mbappe can just play their game and not worry about Acardi. Like Acardi doesn't have to get like that's the difference. Like 
and I've been trying to get to this. Neymar, sorry, Cavani is a volume player. Like he needs eight chances to score two. A card like the Russell not, Westbrook. He just needs to keep shooting. He has to keep shooting. You have to keep giving him the ball. Because if he takes one chance, there's a very good chance he's going to miss that chance. Yeah, right. If he takes two, he'll probably miss both. Three, he'll miss all three. But that fourth chance he'll put in, volume scorer. A guy like Mario Cardi is not a volume scorer. He's a get the ball to him and he'll score. If he has three touches and a half, two of those touches probably ended up in the back of the net. That, I think, is better for Neymar and Mbappe to play with than a guy like Cavani, who needs to have the volume. I would agree with that. I, I really like the way that Icardi and Neymar played off each other. And if we remember when uh, Cavani was healthy, he didn't really fit with Mbappe. I mean, they, it just it wasn't very fluid. It, they, it, I can't put it into words. I just It didn't look great on the pitch, and so I thought that whole M. CN nonsense. It was never really destined to work out. And here's the thing. Acardi actually has a future at PSG. I know he's on loan, but we do have that option to buy him at a very reasonable amount of money. If he doesn't have any off-the-pitch issues and we're able to play him a lot, we can see what he can do for us and how he fits with our two stars, then that's what we need to do. Cavani has no future at PSG. He's likely on his way to Inter um, Miami's own Yeah, Inter, Inter Miami. <laughs> Enter Miami. So he has no future here. We we know what he can do for us. I think he's a fine player to have if, you know, the shit hits the fan and everyone gets injured. He's a nice player to have there to, to help out. But we know what he we know what he can do. That's why it's not a massive loss that he's not back from injury yet. And I think Acardi, as you said, is a starter. So um, and give me give me your we got one more question. I just want yes or no. This is from at Ajan. I Humphrey. He wants to know, do you think there's a chance PSG could extend Neymar? There was reports that I don't even know how reliable this was. It was somewhere in the Spanish media that he No, no, no. I'll tell you where they were from. It was from that reliable source Don Ballon. Yeah, yeah, I love Don Ballon. So, yeah, so they said he's learning or he's taking lessons. Um, he's taking French lessons. Yes. And that there's that, potentially that that he could maybe sign a contract. I know there was a report that um, Marquinhos has been offered a contract to like 2024 or something like that. And so, and if you look over at Barcelona, they're a shit show right now. The Griezmann, like that's not working out. I don't know. Why would Neymar want to go there? be at like 4-0. So it's like even, you know, the, the greatness of La Liga, still Barcelona's, you know, still Barcelona's cutting through those teams. So, you know, it's... If they still have Messi, so I still think that's the trump card over yeah. anything. But look, but he's getting old. Even if they are, even if they do extend him, it's like, what's the extension worth? The extensions, all the extension does is give PSG slightly more leverage and Neymar a lot more money. Yeah. So which I don't he likes. PSG are really that interested in extending him because what does it really do for PSG except for make him have to pay more money? He's in a bigger, better city. <laughs> Paris can pay him more money. Yeah, he's got he's got the Jordan sponsorship. He's got everything he could want. I I would argue that PSG squad is well, better. He had that stuff, but he had that stuff before, and he wanted to leave again. I don't know what you know. I don't know if there's anything that PSG can do in this situation. Can they change? That's going to keep him around for the long term. I think anyone that kind of I think that's wishful thinking. It'd be nice, but. <laughs> I think the there's a chance they were able to get this third year out of him, I think is going to be beneficial. And I think having him around for three years 
is about what you expected from the beginning of all of this. I don't think anyone expected him to be at the club for six, seven years. Again, I, I just, I, I don't think that the the dynamics change. I think what happens next year is that both of the clubs are more ready for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there'll be more of a mutual parting of the ways where I think both can kind of leave with respect. And I think that Neymar can come back, you know, it, you know, towards the end of his career, you know, get, get that the applause from the audience. And I, I, I don't see it being this thing where Neymar is all of a sudden going to fall in love with Paris again. So to answer the question, I don't see that happening. I just, I don't see any reason on both sides for it to happen right now, unless it really turns around for him. I'm, I'm going to offer this. I think it is possible. This is a great squad. This is a squad that can win the Champions League. And you look at his relationship with Kylian Mbappe. Those two, I can't imagine that his relationship with Messi is any better. I mean, those guys are laughing and joking and playing along, and their partnership on the pitch is great. I think he's found a younger, better version of Messi. Wow, let's not I, let's not get carried away here. I mean, if you're starting a football team right now, you you pick right Messi now? at yes, yeah right but now. That's not the, but that's not the point. The point is that even at 32 years old, Lionel Messi is still Neymar's best chance of winning Champions Leagues at this moment in time. That could change, but I think that's the calculus that's being done here. So, uh, you know, you have to change that calculus. And I think he likes Kylian Mbappe. I think he likes playing with him a lot. But does he see PSG as the long-term way for him to win multiple Champions Leagues and win the Ballon d'Or? I don't know. Like, that is the question. And right now, I think they're in a position where Neymar is at least okay with being here and he's you know, embracing it a little more and he's not pouting and he's being a good, he's being a good boy and a good citizen. But the calculus hasn't changed yet. It can change, but I don't think we're at that point yet. Mm-hmm. It's something to keep an eye on the rest of the season. How I agree. It definitely is something to keep an eye on. I'm holding out hope that maybe we can hang on to him. So that's all our Twitter questions. Thank you all for sending those in. Hopefully our answers were up to your standards. That's the show. Mark, do you have anything else you'd like to add or how can people find you on Twitter? Well, since we have an international break, you probably won't have a show from us until um, probably before or after the Bruges match. So, you know, we went a little long, I guess, for that reason. That obviously wasn't the reason we went long. It's because we like to talk a lot. But we'll we'll use that as our excuse. Um, But, yeah, um, follow me at MarkDamon1 for my thoughts in real time on PSG. also for on other things that i like um ed it's been fun it's a good show i thought and um i'll just say uh i think we can end this with an au revoir for now